Hello and welcome to Shark Freaks, the world's number one shark podcast. Did you know that? Out of all of the shark podcasts in the world, the most people listen to our shark podcast. How many shark podcasts do you think there are in reality? In reality, outside of the bit, uh, <laughs> um, three? I don't know. Are there, Probably, shark, are there shark podcasts? Probably too many. I yeah. mean, how many... Conversations can you have about sharks? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, sharks are cool, but how can you talk about sharks? What if Shark Week was every week? It can be with the right state of mind. <laughs> Just listen. If you're, uh, what, Kelly Slater or what? <laughs> <laughs> Is that her name? <laughs> the girl who, the surfer who got her arm yeah. bitten off by the shark? I, yeah. I think so. I don't know. Shark week's probably every week for her. Shark week is every day. Well, uh, yeah, so this is Shark Freaks. Uh, I'm your host, Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm joined by Ben Sheets. Hello. And uh, yeah, it is Shark Week here on Shark Freaks. And uh, in honor of Shark Week, we are going to be devoting the majority of this episode to a discussion of the greatest shark movie of all time, the O'Tourist classic. Do you you probably know which which movie I'm talking about? Uh, that's right. We're talking about Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> now, Ben, the 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 thing about Shark Boy and Lava Girl is that. Lava Girl is kind of she doesn't matter because first and foremost she's a woman and second of all how can you how can you be lava and also a girl so that's not important Mo we're here to talk about Shark Boy he's a boy he's a shark and what else do you need to say yeah I mean when the movie's underwater Lava Girl is kind of limited bas she's basically useless. And I mean, if you even if you look at the title, it's not Lava Girl and Shark Boy. It's Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He gets first billing because he is the most important. And the cool thing about being a boy who is also a shark is by day he skateboards around the halls of his high school with his fellow teens, um, you know, chatting up babes. But then at night he uses his exceptionally powerful bite to uh, basically just remove the limbs of anybody who bullies him. You can't bully Shark Boy. Well, my favorite scene in that movie is uh, when... Shark Boy uses his shark gills to uh, blow an endless giant vape cloud. Oh yeah, well, I as mean, teens do. Shark these days. Shark Boy definitely vapes. And the thing is that most people don't know is that Shark Boy is actually the one who started the vaping craze because that movie came out in like the mid two thousands, and you know people weren't really vaping that much back then. And then they saw Shark Boy, and they saw those fat, delicious clouds coming out of his gills, and they were like, yes, that's what I need to be doing. Sign me up. Sign me up, and, you know, so we can really thank Shark Boy, um, not only for Vape Trick YouTube channels, um, which are, of course, my favorite YouTube channels, and probably yours as well, but also... Nobody's going to have cancer now because nobody's smoking cigarettes. Everybody's vaping like Shark Boy. That's just science. 
Thank you for listening to Shark Freaks. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> um, in, in all seriousness, um, we are going to be talking about Jaws today, um, which is, I think, the greatest shark movie of all time. Besides Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Besides yes. Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> um, yeah, Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg. 1975. Very early in Spielberg's career, pretty much kickstarted his career. Yeah. He did. He did one other feature before Jaws, Duel. right? Duel. That's right. Which is an episode in its own respect. Uh, I've never movie. seen Duel. Oh, it's awesome. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, Jaws really not only kickstarted Steven Spielberg's career, but also kickstarted the you know, event blockbuster, the tentpole blockbuster movie. It was truly the first summer blockbuster. By blockbuster, we, of course, mean, like, a film that comes out in the peak season, when kids are out of school, people are going to see movies, and a movie that you go to see time and time again because it's so great and whatnot. And, uh, like, after the success of Jaws... Everybody was trying to make the next summer blockbuster. Yes, especially right after Jaws, you saw a slew of, you know, knockoff Jaws movies. Orca the Killer Whale, Alligator, Piranha, which, you know, technically is a parody of Jaws. But uh, you got plenty of these creature features that came after it. And this was the movie that really made people pay attention to Steven Spielberg and he followed it up two years later with Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then not long after that Raiders of the Lost Ark and that was really like the start of his super hot streak and I mean honestly like Spielberg's a great director he has made some not good movies are you telling me that War Horse isn't a masterpiece? Well, no, that's <laughs> Are obviously you telling me his best movie. Ready Player One isn't top-tier filmmaking? Don't forget about War of the Worlds starring Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, masterpiece. Definitely can't forget about that one. And we also can't forget about Bridge of Spies, the excellent movie that everybody immediately forgot about, myself included. <laughs> And yeah, uh, Steven Spielberg nowadays is kind of a mixed bag. I can't remember the last great Spielberg movie. Well, I'll say I can't remember the last Spielberg movie that left a lasting impression on me. I did actually enjoy Bridge of Spies when I saw it, but like I said, I immediately forgot about it. <laughs> like, I was looking back at my letterbox page not long ago, and I saw that I had put Bridge of Spies as one of my top films of 2015, and if you ask me now what happened in that movie, I could only give you the broadest plot strokes. You got spies, and, uh, and there's a, a bridge, and they're and under the bridge, and they're doing the spy stuff all, in enemy lines. And All I remember about Bridge of Spies is that Tom Hanks has a cold the entire movie, <laughs> and he won't shut up about it. He's in Russia, and all he keeps saying is, I have a cold, and I want to go home. 
and that's I, that's do you the think film. Steven Spielberg you know heard that it was the Cold War and really oh, misconstrued man. it. <laughs> oh, that's some galaxy brain shit. I never even considered the possibility. <laughs> but it makes sense. It's the Cold War and Tom Hanks has a cold. I almost said Tom Cruise. <laughs> Honestly, I think Tom Cruise would have been better in that movie. He runs way better than Tom Hanks. Yes. Jaws stars the powerhouse trio of Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, and uh, Robert Shaw. Um, only one of whom is still alive. Rest in peace, Roy Scheider and Robert Shaw. I was surprised that this movie got a PG rating when it came out. We were talking about that when we were watching it. I mean, I know this was before the creation of the PG-13 rating, and it was one of the films that kind of got the MPAA to be like, oh, maybe we should have a middle ground between PG and R. I mean, the ra- I don't think I don't think this movie is that gruesome. I think it's a movie that you could honestly take your whole family to. Uh, there's a couple of scary scenes. I mean, it's it's pretty bloody at times. Like if it if it came out today, I think it would definitely get an R rating. But I mean, times has changed. Also, like, fucking MPAA ratings are completely arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, considering it would be a blockbuster summer movie, it could probably get away with a PG-13 rating as is. I think I think the MPAA would cut a lot of the the blood and gore from it. I mean, it's not particularly graphic, but it does have some bloody scenes and see a couple of dismembered corpses, and that's kind of the thing that the children can't see. You gotta protect the tender eyes of the children. Yeah. I could see it being PG-13 if it was released today, considering... There is now a PG-13 rating. Yeah, true. But in a lot of PG-13 action movies, they specifically do not have blood. Well, sometimes. Not always. But I was surprised that it was PG, but at the same time, it didn't shock me that much. In the 70s, they were much more lax about what got a PG rating. For sure. And large chunks of this movie are pretty family-friendly. Yeah. It, it it gets much more adult towards the end. I know I saw it as a as a small child, and some of the stuff in, in the later half of the movie definitely left uh, an impression on me as a, as a young boy. One of the biggest things that would have gotten in... It in our rating is that you see titties in like in like the, the first, first minute. two minutes, yeah. yeah. Um, so the the movie starts with, uh, you know, this opening kill scene, um, where it's like drunk college kids. I think they're supposed to be high, high schoolers because in the autopsy scene, they say the girl that gets killed was fifteen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes the, the titties a little weird. <laughs> it, yeah, it makes the titties very weird. Um, I might have misheard that, but I think I caught that last night, and even though I've seen I this movie a million times. I noticed that. Uh, yeah, so that's a little weird. 
Um, but yeah, we've we've got this uh, great opening kill scene of these drunk teenagers partying on the beach, and two of them go off to swim, and uh, the the girl is out in the water, and she starts getting dragged around, screaming bloody murder by something in the water. And pulled under, and that's the last we see of her. And I think that that, as as a setup kill for a movie, is pretty effective. Not only in the subtlety of it, but also that actress's performance. Like, she makes it seem like she's actually being eaten by a shark. Yeah, she does a really good job. Uh, the scene is elevated, too, by... The first time we hear the fantastic score from John Williams. The iconic Jaws theme, which uh, Spielberg originally thought was ridiculous. The first time he went to John Williams is like, okay, what do you have for me? And John Williams played him a recording. Spielberg thought it was a joke. (laughs) <laughs> he laughed and he was like, okay, but like, what do you really have for me? And John Williams was like, no, like, that's it. And I mean, the rest is history, as they say. It's one of the most iconic film themes of all time. I don't think there's a person alive today who hears that and doesn't know exactly what it is. I mean, all you have to hear is two notes and. Yeah. You know. I mean,. Say what you want about simplicity versus complexity, but when you got an earworm, you got an earworm. Exactly. If it's a hook, if it sticks with you, then... If it slaps, If it it slaps. slaps. And you know, like, the national anthem doesn't even slap. No. But... We should replace the national anthem with the Jaws theme. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone standing with their hands against their hearts. Bonum. (laughs) (laughs) can somebody make that like a video of a football game or something but replace the national anthem with the jaws theme (laughs) oh my god so after that we're uh introduced to one of our main characters uh martin brody played by the amazing roy scheider uh who is the new police chief of Amity Island, a uh, summer resort town that basically receives its entire annual income from tourists coming to the beach. Yeah, in the summer. So, uh, obviously, having a shark attack is not good for uh, the town economy. Right. Well, that's one of the best things about the first act that I think we definitely agree on is this this struggle between Chief Brody and the mayor, uh, played by Murray Hamilton. Uh, You know, obviously, Brody wants to close the beaches because there's a shark, like multiple people have been killed. And the mayor is like, fuck no, this is our town's livelihood. We're going to be bankrupt if, you know, we don't get that income from our summer tourists. So make the beaches safe, but we're not closing the beach. And that leads to an even higher body count, more people being killed by the shark because they refuse to close the beach. Yeah, and I think like... Having that juxtaposition of money and livelihoods versus safety 
is a really cool thematic idea. I agree, because, like, the shark is the villain of this movie, but it could be argued that the real villain is Murray Hamilton. Because a shark is a shark, you know? The shark's doing what a shark is going to do. And Murray Hamilton is not only an asshole and an incredible asshole, but is not willing to close the beaches even at the cost of people dying. Well, first off, Murray Hamilton is like one of the all-time movie heels. Oh, yeah. But I think it works really well as, you know, kind of a, a subplot to keep the first act lively and keep the stakes high. Because if, you know, they were acting just regardless of money, they would just close the beaches right away. Right. And then it's like, what do you do with the rest of the it movie? Gives, it gives a very realistic reason to have this sort of bureaucratic power struggle and to incite Chief Brody becoming so frustrated with this that he gets more and more tense throughout the movie to the point where, you know, they finally have to hire Robert Shaw to to hunt down and kill the beast. Well, that's the thing, because he feels guilty in right. a lot of ways for not closing the beach, because while it is his call... He does have to report to the mayor. Right. But, you know, as the chief of police, the the residents of Amity Island's safety is, like, on him. It's literally his job to keep the people safe, and he can't really do that. Compounding on that, that he's, uh, you know, a transfer from New York City, and he comes out to Amity to be the chief to get away from the, you know, horrible crime and stuff in, in the city, but now he's faced with a totally different and arguably worse threat that he's much less equipped to deal with. And I love that character motivation. I think, honestly, all three of the main characters have really good, interesting, complex motivations. I agree, and that's something that is sort of what I would consider a hallmark of 70s horror. A lot of the time, the real action, the real scares, don't happen until, like, over halfway through the film. 70s horror is much more of a slow burn, and it takes its time setting up your characters, letting you really get to know them, their little quirks and nuances, to the point that when the threat is truly present, that you actually care if they live or die, or if they succeed or fail. Yeah, and they do that really well. They They do a great job of setting up the characters, but at the same time, I think the first act of this movie is incredibly paced because while they're setting up characters, they keep it point to point to point, keep the action coming along with multiple shark attacks happening, finding remains of shark attacks that have happened. But all without seeing the shark up till this point, which is crucial, I think. 
And I mean, it was it was necessity of the actual animatronic shark being a piece of shit and constantly breaking down. Yeah, they they named it something, right? Uh, well, a... they they named it Bruce after Steven Spielberg's lawyer, um, and the the shark from Finding Nemo, Bruce, is named after that. But they also called it the Great White Turd. <laughs> So they they were sort of forced to to keep it subtle, to keep the shark hidden. You only see the aftermath or, you know, uh, somebody being dragged around in the water or like a spurt of blood or something. And it really leaves a lot up to your imagination because you don't know how big this shark is. You know it's big, but then by the time it's finally revealed over halfway through the movie, it's like, holy fuck, that's a really big shark. Well, and I love it, too, because the scale of the shark is an unknown for the characters, too. You know, they they know that it's a great white, but they don't know, like, how big of a great white well they don't that's they don't even know that it's a great white until after they bring in uh richard dreyfus and he finds the the tooth in the the sunken boat which is also a good way through the movie you know they bring in this oceanographic researcher to to sort of like help them figure out what's going on and they put a bounty on the shark and some local fishermen catch a very big shark but you know Richard Dreyfus keeps telling them like this is not the shark that killed those people like the bite radius is too small let's cut this thing open and see what's in its digestive system and uh, you know, Murray Hamilton is just like, it doesn't matter if they got the shark. They got a shark. People are going to feel better. They're going to think that that they got the shark. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, Murray Hamilton makes a really good point when he's like, I don't want to cut open the shark and have a bunch of kid remains fall out everywhere. Right. Which is why they end up doing the autopsy late at night in secret. While hammered. While drunk. <laughs> and then immediately decide to go out on a boat to try to find the real shark. Which I love, because Brody's just like, I'm not drunk enough to go out on a boat and look for this shark. And Richard Dreyfuss is just like, yes you are. <laughs> We're going. Um, this is one of Richard Dreyfuss's first roles, too. Like, he was really young in this. And he's fantastic. Yeah, he like, does a great job in this movie. Everybody in this movie is so good. Like, Roy Scheider already had a pretty well-established career. They got him for this movie because of uh, his performance in The French Connection, which came out a couple of years before this. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, like, Richard Dreyfus was relatively unknown, and I think he you could definitely say that he owes a lot of his career success to this movie. Because it really kind of made him explode onto the scene. And he's he's got great chemistry with Roy Scheider, too. Like, the three main characters have really good, interesting chemistry. Which is what makes them such likable characters and what makes their scenes together so good. Yeah, I think they all do a really incredible jo job. Uh, they all do really good drunks. Too. Well, Robert Shaw was not acting <laughs> like, like a drunk. That's just him. He just yes. was. He just was a drunk. Um, well, Robert Shaw in this movie is also incredible, though. He, oh, yeah. 
his intro monologue when he's first introduced. Um, you know, we're at kind of a meeting of the town yeah. to decide whether they're going to close the beach or not. They're talking about putting a bounty on the shark. And Robert Shaw introduces himself by scratching a chalkboard with his fingernail. Yeah, it's great. Everybody's just yelling and arguing over each other, and you can't hear anything. And then he's just, like, scratching nails on a chalkboard, which is such a good way to get people's attention. It's such an unpleasant sound. Yeah. And he's <laughs> it's it's says so much about his character right off the bat, too, before we even know him, that he's not the type of guy to bother trying to shout over everybody. He's just gonna get people's attention by whatever means necessary. This sort of uh, sardonic, right character that he is and uh, and it's great and having that monologue and being like i'm like i'll find this shark for you but three thousand ain't gonna cut it like you're gonna pay me ten thousand and i'll get you the shark and he's kind of this uh captain ahab character which is really great i know that uh the the way they originally wanted to introduce him was having him in a theater watching the old Gregory Peck uh, Moby Dick from the 50s, uh, and they weren't able to do that because Gregory Peck wouldn't give them the rights because he owned part of the rights. Uh, so they found a new way to introduce him, and I think it's much better. Yeah, I think that would have been way too on the nose because they it definitely is Captain Ahab as a character in this movie, like... It's pretty much taken exactly from Moby right. Dick. Right, like you, you get that, you get that impression just from how he is and the way he behaves and how he talks. And I think to to introduce him by having him watch Moby Dick would have been like, "Hey, get it? This is our Ahab character." And it, yeah, it would have been way, way too on the nose. I agree completely. I think uh, they they do a good job of subtly introducing him as that character without really hitting it too hard on the nose um well the thing about it too is after that initial scene where he's introduced he sort of disappears for a little while because obviously murray hamilton doesn't want to pay him three times the bounty that they're offering when he thinks that just anybody can go out and get this shark. So it's like, we know when he's introduced, it's like, okay, this is going to be the guy who goes out to catch the shark, but they don't just jump to that right away. They have to have the, the, the stakes escalate even higher with the deaths of, uh, or the death of yet another person on the 4th of July, on their biggest day of the year, um, when the shark comes into, like, the lagoon where they think it's safe. And that's the first time we sort of see the shark. We see it underwater as it's coming up on the dude that it's just knocked out of his boat. But, like, at that point in the movie, just, like, the glimpse you get of it is just enough. Like, 
you can see like holy shit this is a big fucking scary shark but then they pull right back it's so brief that it leaves so much up to the imagination yeah it's still so so largely obscured and then finally after after this last death they agree it's like okay we'll hire quint and he'll kill the shark but under the condition that Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus join him on his boat. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, not seeing the shark is so important because it leaves so much up to the imagination and paired with the John Williams score and some really great underwater photography. Yeah, that's a big you know, thing about this movie. It, it feels so much more imposing than it would if you just saw the shark the whole time. Uh, they do a great job of having shots where they're like floating almost between underwater and above water sometimes. Yeah, to give the the perspective of like a swimmer or something, like sort of dipping above and below the yeah, water. Yeah, and they do a great job with the sound design of underwater, very reverby, echoey kind of underwater sounds well, that feel real. What what works so well too is the decision to shoot in and on the actual ocean and not in a tank like in a studio which was the norm at that time because it's more easily controllable uh environment but they were like no we want to you know we want to make it seem real you know we're gonna shoot on the water and it pays off definitely because you know most of the most of it had to be shot handheld to compensate for shooting on a boat and the motion of the ocean as they say they do a lot of other really cool cinematography things in this movie um this movie kind of made a signature style of the dolly zoom yeah where uh, when Roy Schneider uh, Roy Scheider, uh, he realizes that there's a shark in the in the lagoon. They... Or when the it's it's when the the little boy is killed uh, before the Fourth of July. When yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. they're on the beach, and we get that uh, the the vertigo shot where you physically move the camera forward while zooming out so it expands the depth of field and it's like one of the most famous shots in in cinema history and yeah it's it's super memorable like everybody knows that shot it's like maybe the one shot from jaws that everybody remembers above all else what i what i also really like in terms of like the cinematography and the way they shoot stuff is Steven Spielberg is really good at visual storytelling, like showing you details that tell you something about what's happening without it being explicitly stated or anything like that. Stuff like uh, later on the boat when the they have the the shark like tied to the boat and it's pulling them and Quint runs for the machete to cut the ropes and you have the shot from inside the boat cabin and you can see the machete on the wall on the side as Quint comes from the background to the foreground to grab it. It's just like little details like that where you see the object that's important in the shot without him being like, I'm going to go get the machete or having it cut to a shot of just the machete and then, like, his hand coming in and grabbing it. Like, 
it's it's details like that that I think do really make Steven Spielberg a great director, even despite some of his lazier films later in his life. Yeah, and I think this is kind of his opus in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, it, it's he has done a lot of great films, but it's my favorite out of all of his films that I've seen. Well, I, I think it's mine as well. Going on to the second act, uh, the three of them decide that they have to, you know, hunt the great white. Um, yeah, they don't. They don't have a choice. Three people have been killed now, and even the mayor agrees that something has to be done. And you get a really cool chemistry between the three characters, as Robert Shaw has, you know, practical years of ship knowledge while Richard Dreyfus has, you know, oceanographic experience. Yeah, yeah, you've got like this weathered like salty sea captain who has made a career out of hunting sharks. It's what he does. And then you've got like the the rich kid academic who knows you know, scientific things about sharks. And then you've got Chief Brody, who is afraid of the water and doesn't even like being on a boat, but he's there because he's the chief of police. It's his duty to to see that this is done properly. So you have this really fantastic chemistry between the three of them with uh robert shaw and richard dreyfus bickering you know their his practical knowledge versus richard dreyfus's academic knowledge and then chief brody trying to sort of be the middle ground and hold everything together but he's also scared shitless and he doesn't want to be here but, you know, it's his job. So there's so much great interaction between the three of them. Because at this point, like, from the rest of the movie on, they are the only three characters in the movie. Yeah. And the second act is probably the area where it's the least palatable for modern audiences, I would say. I can agree with that. Um, the first and the third act very much feel like, you know, a tentpole event blockbuster whereas in the second act it slows down and lets things ruminate a little bit more um they still build tension but they mostly expand on things like robert shaw's character right because he's def he's the least developed at this point because we've seen the least of they him. do a lot of building up the scope of the shark yes which I agree it's the the slowest part of the film and you know a lot of modern audiences have a very short attention span and I think this is the part of the movie that people could call boring. I don't consider it boring at all, but it's definitely the least action heavy, but I think you bring up a good point about sort of this being the time where they build on the threat of the shark and the idea that maybe these guys are a little bit in over their head. Because Robert Shaw's character is very cocky. This is what he's done you know, for years. He's a fisherman, specifically hunting sharks. He has not yet met a shark that he couldn't take down. 
but we start to see that some of his tried and true tactics to hunt the shark are not enough in this case. And we see him start to get more and more frustrated and have the the Ahab come out where it becomes personal for him. You know, to him, Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus are in the way. He doesn't want them there. It becomes this sort of, like, seeing red rage against this shark. Like, the shark is not going down how he wants it to. And so he becomes more and more irrational, which ultimately leads to his downfall. I do really like that progression of the character. My only minor gripe about this movie, in general, actually, I think... Because basically, it's pretty much flawless besides that. But I think they spend a little too much time trying to emphasize the scale of the shark. Uh, because, you know, the rest of the movie up till then, they mostly do that through your imagination. And by emphasizing that much, even while they still, you know, show the shark very little, if any... Spending so much of that time emphasizing that feels a little redundant. Uh, I I don't know if I necessarily agree. I I think that it's it's a pretty good escalation of the shit that they're really in. You know, at this point, we see the shark fully for the first time in the famous shot with Roy Scheider chumming the water, and he's not looking at what he's doing, and the shark comes up out of the water right next to the boat, and that's when we get the the famous improvised line, you're going to need a bigger boat, which is really... It's amazing that that line was improvised because it really tells you exactly what you need to know. Like, this shark is way fucking bigger and way fucking meaner than anything they've seen before, and they are going to need a bigger boat, but they don't have one. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the the barrels thing like attaching the barrels to the shark you could argue that it gets a little bit repetitive but i think that really hammers home what a threat the shark is because quint has never had to attach more than one barrel to a shark to keep it close to the surface but this shark takes three barrels and it can still pull them all underwater and that's at the point where we really see Quint, you know, maybe starting to, to doubt himself and starting to get really frustrated. And I think that that really builds up to the climax perfectly. That makes the climax ultimately really, really satisfying outside of just how entertaining it is to watch in and of itself. Because I, I think that by that point, you know the stakes fully. Yeah, they do a great job setting up the stakes in that act. I wonder if part of the reason it feels slower, too, as a second act is because it's all limited to the water. Yeah. And the boat, you know? And 
Because I, I, you know, up to this point, like you said, the the first act of the movie is incredibly tightly paced. It's really fast. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters. You know, it goes from one thing to the other. And then all of a sudden, you just have three guys on a boat. So it is a pretty dramatic shift from one to the next. But I... still think it works i i almost consider it uh sort of time to breathe between the first and third acts yeah well i i i agree that it's time to breathe um i just think maybe it could have been done a little quicker and maybe that's just the modern audience in me just wanting a little or maybe even another set piece in the middle there um, and you do get some little set pieces. You get, you know, the shark cage. You get the barrels. You get the fantastic uh, USS Indianapolis monologue. Yeah, which Robert Shaw did in one take. Yes, which is insane. Incredible. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think you make a very fair argument. And I I think that there are probably quite a few people out there who would agree with you and especially for the modern audience it is the slowest part it's a part that you could argue gets tedious or repetitive or boring um it is for for me it works really well it is still incredibly shot and like there is a great directorial sense to it I I never watching that movie think that that part needs to be quickened, but that's just me. I I appreciate how it kind of steps back and goes to a slower burn and sort of allows the tension to build and we learn more about uh, Quint. Uh, that USS Indianapolis monologue is amazing. And, you know, it's a true story about the the ship that carried the, the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima going down in the Pacific and, like, 700 of the crew of 1,300 being picked off by sharks. And that's also why we sort of that, – or that's why we see that Quint sort of has this vendetta towards all sharks because he spent a week – you know, surrounded by sharks, watching his friends and comrades be killed one by one, not knowing if he was going to be next. And it's at that point where you as the viewer are really like, okay, so this is why he is the way he is. It's iconic. It's a fantastic scene. Super well shot, all in one take. The the reactions of Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus are, you know, really amazing, especially because they're just joking around and drinking and having a good time prior to that. And then all of a sudden it just gets really dark. <laughs> and that that tonal shift is so well done and it sets up the third act when shit really gets crazy so well and and that that action after that becomes so satisfying you know with the shark sinking the boat and uh attacking the cage with richard dreyfus in it and he has to swim down to the bottom to escape and then ultimately the shark hopping up on the side of the boat and eating robert shaw um 
that that was a scene that impacted me very very hard as a child uh, yeah it is an incredibly executed scene um it's not terribly gory uh but there is a lot of blood to it and i, I think uh, more than anything robert shaw sells it yeah incredibly well well yeah i i find it incredibly gruesome yeah there's there's not much actual gore but there is a ton of blood and what i love so much is how the uss indianapolis monologue foreshadows that moment so well when he's talking about oh you know a a shark has black eyes like doll's eyes uh, and then until it bites you and they roll over white and you hear that high-pitched screaming and then that's exactly what happens to Robert Shaw in, you know, just like 15 minutes later. And his, him selling it is so fucking good and so real. It's just like viscerally very disturbing to me. It still is, uh, even as an adult man. Granted, I grew up on the Gulf Coast where shark attacks are a thing, you know, not super common. Like, sharks aren't the killing machines that this movie would lead you to believe, but, like, hey, you know, it happens. What were more common, shark attacks or gator attacks? Gator attacks, for sure. They're more common, and you're more likely to end up in their territory, and they're super aggressive, uh so yeah gators I, I grew up in a place where if you go into the water anywhere that's not a bathtub or a swimming pool <laughs> you have to look out for a large prehistoric predator that might kill you and uh you know that's i i'm not afraid of the water i love swimming but uh there's always that little inkling in the back of my mind. Like I'm always on the lookout for some water monster coming to get me. Well, yeah, and I can understand that. I mean, growing up in the Midwest, I never really... There was always a distance when I saw Jaws, you know, like it was... It was a literal spooky. distance. Yeah, it was spooky, but like... I don't know. I never it's not really something that experienced you, actual sharks it's outside not some, of the yeah. Discovery Channel. So it's not something that you could ever envision happening to you or being in that situation. I I, I totally get that. I totally get that. It's uh, you know different upbringings in different parts of the world. It's it's a great scene. Um, it's I would rank Robert Shaw's death in Jaws as maybe one of the most effective on-screen deaths in any movie I've ever seen, horror movies especially. It's a credit to to Steven Spielberg for knowing how to pull that off and to Robert Shaw for being able to sell it as hard as he does. And he died only four years after this movie. Sad. Sad. I know. He's so he's so fucking good. He's such a good actor. Yeah, he is very good in this movie. Everybody's so good in this movie. I know that I said that already, but like I can't reiterate enough how incredible all of the performances in this movie are. Yeah. Well, after Robert Shaw dies, we get an incredible scene where they end up defeating the shark. Oh, in one of the most fantastic ways ever, which everybody knows. With the boat going down and Roy Scheider going into the water, 
and the shark's coming at him, and it's got the scuba tank lodge in its mouth, and he ad-libbed another iconic line, smile, you son of a boom. That the shark blowing up is so fucking satisfying. Like, every time I see it, it all almost always gets some sort of vocal reaction from me. Almost always. <laughs> it is very, very satisfying to see, especially after how, you know, visceral Robert Shaw's death is. Yeah. Only it, moments before. It, it really, it feels like justice. Very cathartic. It's, ex- yeah, it, you know, it, it does. It feels so, uh, so satisfying to just watch this massive shark just explode. I love it. I love it. I never get tired of it, no matter how many times I've seen it. Um, and that's a hallmark of good filmmaking, when moments like that stick with you. Like, there's a reason why Jaws is not only one of the most quotable films of all time, but just one of the most iconic when it comes to scenes. It's it's a movie that, even if you haven't seen it, you you probably know it from beginning to end, just from how entrenched it's become in pop culture. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, after Jaws, there were a lot of imitators because it was such a big success. And even, you know, imitation shark movies. But I think the reason why there hasn't been another great shark movie is because Jaws is such a classic. Right. Because it's such a classic that everything in the genre, essentially, of shark attack movies just feels like an imposter when held up. Because Jaws does it so right. How are you gonna do better? Well, or how are you even? How are you even gonna bring something original to it? You know. Well, and that's the thing. I feel like the only other shark attack movies that are successful are the ones that are self-aware and not self-serious, right? Because Jaws is very serious. You know, it's it doesn't take itself too jokingly. It's got humor in the right places. It has plenty of comic relief, which is something that Spielberg does very well. So at times it does feel very lighthearted, but at its core, it is a very serious film. It's not It's not intended to be jokey or over the top, you know? Like, it, it sets itself up very seriously, and it takes itself very seriously, and it does what it does so well that it works. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I feel like the only other successful shark attack movies are ones that go in the opposite direction with that. You know, your deep blue seas where, like, it is very over-the-top and campy and silly because it is something different than Jaws. Right, yeah, it's—I feel like the—like you said, the only successful shark movies post-Jaws are ones that are campy to to an extent. Um, I don't want to get into that quite yet. I want to talk just briefly— about the aftermath 
of this movie sort of the cultural impact it had on america thousands of murdered sharks yeah like after this movie came out there was such a massive spike in people like going out to kill sharks because at that time there was no shark week you know dedicated to educating people about what sharks really are for a lot of people this was the only exposure to sharks they had this and the the novel that it's based on uh written by peter benchley who did co-write this movie and peter benchley himself felt so guilty after the fact that so many sharks were killed and that sharks were sort of being demonized that he basically devoted the rest of his life to spreading like legitimate shark education and letting making people aware that sharks are not just out to kill you and eat you like it's a movie and you know it, it was a book it's fictional you know it's it's supposed to be horror um i guess the book was more pulp horror than anything else uh but yeah man i mean people were fucking people were scared to go in the water like legitimately not even just in the ocean but like lakes and streams and rivers and stuff because they couldn't set foot in the water without associating it with this movie with you know a killer great white shark that was gonna come along and eat them you know people were scared to take a bath (laughs) (laughs) and yeah it's it's certainly regrettable that people started killing sharks and demonizing them after this but like fuck to have that kind of lasting impact on the culture of you know, not just this country, but the world. You know, that's a strong film. That's a very strong film. It's almost as bad as after uh, the movie version of Cujo came out, when people started killing dogs everywhere. <laughs> hey, man! After Cujo, people didn't want to didn't want to own Saint Bernards. I mean, that's man, true. It's, it, you know, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, pretty easy to influence people with your art and something you you got to be got to be careful of make sure your your message is on point and they had to wait until beethoven to come out yeah but between rehabilitate their image between cujo and beethoven nobody wanted st bernard's (laughs) oh man should we talk a little bit about the shark prop itself we we sort of mentioned it a little bit I've heard some people say that they they don't think the shark effects hold up well in this movie. I think they really hold up I, well. Yeah, I'm really, really inclined to disagree that they don't hold up. I think the reason they hold up so well is because how restrained they are in using them. And I know a lot yeah. of that is out of necessity, because you know the shark prop was notoriously shitty yeah it it kept breaking down when they built it at first they they tested it in a tank and it worked fine but they weren't testing it in salt water so when they put it in the ocean it just sank immediately 
and they had to get a team of divers to go down and dredge this big fake shark up from the from the bottom of the ocean because they just dropped it <laughs> <laughs> which i think is hilarious i also love the story about uh george lucas getting his head stuck in the shark's mouth <laughs> when uh he went to visit spielberg and spielberg showed him the prop and George Lucas stuck his head in the mouth, and Steven Spielberg thought it would be funny to have it close its mouth, but then it broke immediately. <laughs> and George Lucas had his head stuck in the mouth of this big, dumb, fake shark for three hours. <laughs> and also, just considering who George Lucas is, like I find that mental image absolutely <laughs> hilarious of George Lucas with his head stuck in an animatronic shark's mouth for three fucking hours. Come on, guys. This isn't funny anymore. <laughs> this no. isn't funny anymore, guys. Um... I also think part of the reason that the effects hold up so well in this movie is sort of falls under the blanket of why practical effects work so well, especially in horror movies, is having there be something physical for the actors to react to as opposed to CG, where it's like, how are you supposed to show that you're really afraid of something when you're interacting with, like, mocap balls on sticks or something like that, or, like, a cardboard cutout? And something about, like, the tangibility of the shark makes it seem more real, I think. Like, yeah, some of the shark's movements seem very stiff because it was just a big robot shark but it's there you know like when robert shaw is being killed like he is in its mouth yeah it's on the boat the the feeling of tangibility is really important like you were saying and i think having a physical version there really gives the actors a sense of a scale to work. Yeah, I no, I agree. I would say that even in like later Jaws sequels that are much cornier, something like Jaws 3D, Jaws the Revenge, Jaws the Revenge. Well, that's a totally different <laughs> thing. Um, but like, I even have a soft spot for Jaws 3D. It's super corny. It's super schlocky. But like, you know, the shark is still a physical prop. And I think that that still makes it scarier than any CG shark you could ever make. Because, you know, it, it's you can tell when it's CG. Even in more modern movies where the CG is better, it's still not a real thing that's there, you know? Um, like I said, that's my general argument for practical over CG in, in most situations, especially in horror yeah, do you do you want to rate this? Sure. Yeah, let's just jump and into ratings. And we can ratings. talk about some shark culture. Yeah. You can start. Um, well, I think this movie is the perfect shark attack movie. Um, there's a reason there hasn't been any that quite meet its level. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite Spielberg movies. Uh, it is very historically notable for the event blockbuster tentpole movie i do think it drags just slightly in the second act but that's the only minor complaint 
I have with it besides that it's perfectly acted, perfectly shot. The sound design is phenomenal. The score is iconic and it's endlessly quotable. I'm going to give this a four and a half out of five. Um, definitely, if you haven't seen it, stop listening to this right now and just watch it. If you haven't seen Jaws, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this movie came out almost 50 years ago. Like, Jesus Christ. You're at the end of this episode. You should have done this earlier. <laughs> if you haven't seen Jaws, fucking see Jaws. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, I I can virtually agree with everything you just said, uh, minus the slight drag in the the second act. Um, this is one of my favorite movies, my favorite Spielberg, uh, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It is the gold standard for shark movies, and I legitimately think that it will probably never be topped. Maybe I'll eat my words someday down the line, but um, I think that I would be lying if I gave this movie anything other than a perfect 5 out of 5. It is the perfect shark film, it's a perfect flawless masterpiece of a movie, and uh, yeah, I, I love Jaws. That'll give Jaws an average rating of 4.8 out of 5 pods. Nearly perfect. Uh, if you haven't seen Jaws, fucking see Jaws. I cannot imagine that anybody has not seen Jaws at this point. So, to move on, we did not have an opportunity to watch any other shark films to review in this episode, but to sort of flesh out a little bit, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time talking about shark films in general and where the legacy of Jaws has taken shark films and the different direction it's taken shark films. And honestly, I think the whole idea of Shark Week owes a lot to Jaws. Definitely, I, yeah. I, I think not only did this film spawn a lot of imitators, like you mentioned before, with stuff like Piranha and Alligator, but it really kind of invigorated people's fascination with sharks. And there have been a lot of shark movies over the years. Some entertaining and some not. Honestly, my favorite shark attack movies outside of Jaws, obviously, are ones, like I said before, that really don't take themselves seriously. I 100% um, agree. And I think that is the most common way people approach shark movies. I mean, you always get, you know, you're 47 meters down and such. But most of the time, they don't take themselves seriously. You see like that in Deep Blue Sea. Um, you see that in Shark Attack 3 Megadalon. Uh, you see that in Sharknado. I honestly, like I like I said before, I have uh, a soft spot for Jaws 3D. It, it's not a good movie, but the premise of a giant killer shark being trapped in SeaWorld is outrageously funny to me. 
and they do so much fun stuff with that that like i can't hate on that movie and it has some of the worst dumbest 3d effects i've ever seen in any movie is it in that one or Jaws the Revenge or both where the shark roars? That's in that's in Jaws the Revenge, okay. which is such a fucking god off. <laughs> like Jaws 2 took itself pretty seriously and I like Jaws 2, but it's nowhere near as iconic as the first one. They did get Roy Scheider to return, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, that they actually got him to sign on for another Jaws movie. It's all about that money, it's man. It's all about that money. And it, it's got some some really good moments, but nothing as masterful as as the first Jaws, and without the, the Spielberg touch, you know? Uh, but then, yeah, Jaws the Revenge is such a, <laughs> a boring, hot mess that goes so far outside the realm of possibility just the idea of a shark having a a psychic connection with ellen brody and hunting her and her family all the way from new york to the bahamas is so fucking stupid it's pretty funny though <laughs> i mean it's, it's funny jaws 4's biggest sin is that it's boring as balls until like the last 15 minutes yeah the concept is very funny but it doesn't stay fun throughout no. the funny concept no it doesn't um i i do love deep blue sea a lot um, but like you said, that's a very schlocky shark movie. Uh, it's enjoyable, not because it's a good movie, because it's not, but it's one of those, like, so bad it's good movies. Um, I vaguely remember seeing Shark Night 3D, which came out in the late 2000s 3D gimmick craze, um, not long after Piranha 3D and stuff like that. I remember that being a somewhat entertaining but very stupid movie. Sharknado fucking speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean... I, I feel like we're gonna have to do an episode on Sharknado at some point. Yeah, um, I can't bring myself to watch any of the sequels, though, honestly. I There's, I too, there's like too many. It's just beating a dead horse well, after the fir- first one. I, I did see the second one. And I haven't seen any of the others. I think there's six now. I think there's Jesus. six Sharknados. Um, and maybe I'll bring myself to watch them at some point. But my problem with the Sharknado franchise is they've gotten too self-aware. They were. It was always like a very self-aware, stupid, dumb movie with bad effects. But Sharknado 2 was so nudge, nudge, wink, wink that it was obnoxious yeah like the first one's a funny standalone bit but after that they it's like you can they realize that they hit gold with their bad idea and yeah they're they're beating a dead horse i i absolutely agree we watched 47 meters down uh a few weeks ago and it was so boring that we didn't consider it even worthy of an episode. Did you ever see The Shallows? 
the one that came out a couple no, of years ago with Blake I Lively. I thought that that was a halfway competent, serious shark movie. It had a lot of problems that ultimately I don't think make it a very good film, but it had some elements that I really liked, and the last 15 minutes was 100% unadulterated schlock. I would halfway recommend that movie, I would say. If you like Jaws, it does not bring anything new to the franchise, um, uh, or to the genre, I should say. It's decent, and Blake Lively ain't bad to look at. That's all I'll say. Um, weren't the open water movies shark movies? Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever saw those. Me either. I remember, like, them being very hyped when they came out. Open Water was based on a true story, wasn't it? Uh, I th- I, th- I think it was a well, reenactment of something a quote, that happened. Unquote based on a true story. I mean, hyper exaggerated for for films, but that's the one where there's like a couple out on like uh, a sailboat or whatever that ends up being capsized or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. And it's all like shot, like where kind of Jaws style where it's like in the water. Okay. I might have seen the first one years ago. I don't remember. I've never seen it. I just remember uh, reading about it. Like we were saying before, like Jaws sets such a gold standard. Like it's, virtually impossible to do anything original without being inherently ridiculous which i think is fine like if you're gonna make a a fun schlocky shark movie and you can do it well like more power to you like that's why i like movies like deep blue sea but i i don't know how you'd even begin to make a serious shark movie that wouldn't just be a blatant ripoff of jaws yeah, I, honestly, because it really sets the standard. Speaking of new shark movies, though, oh yeah, um, we watched the trailer for this new one coming out very soon. In a f- in like three or four weeks, I believe. Yeah, uh, it's called The Meg. It stars Jason Statham. It seems to be a joint production of uh, Chinese film companies and U.S. film companies. Yeah, I think so. The trailer doesn't give away too much, but it sets up this, like, scientific team exploring, like, a super deep-sea trench and discovering all of these, like, new species, but there's also a megalodon. um, Yeah, they have this, like, underwater, like, Bioshock future society almost yeah i think that's supposed to be the research station it in that sense it very much gave me uh like a deep blue sea kind of vibe um but what i did appreciate about this trailer and why i'm kind of excited for this movie is i don't think that the filmmakers are under any illusions of how ridiculous this movie is gonna be it seems schlocky enough um the one thing i'm worried about is in the trailer we watched it showed a lot of action without really showing much of any set pieces yeah it seemed a lot of like a lot of disembodied action and i'm worried that like 
it's gonna be boring. In, I I could see that. I I hope it's not boring. I think it sets up some cool stuff, like the the research base and the the shots we get of like one of the characters in a submarine being attacked by a giant squid and then the shark comes along and eats the squid um what i'm hoping for for this movie is crank meets jaws if it if it can do something along those lines i think i'll be happy that's, without without that's a being high boring. bar it's a it's a very high bar uh and i'm keeping my expectations low but if it delivers on the fun action schlock, uh, which is something that I think Jason Statham is very good at, and putting him in a shark movie seems like either gold or a recipe for disaster, uh, I I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely want to see this movie. I mean, it does look like it's directed by John Turtletob, which is the guy who directed the National Treasure movies. Oh, fantastic. Which is actually quite a good sign. That's a very good sign, actually. <laughs> now, if only Jason Statham was replaced with Nicolas Cage, yes. and you'd have the yes. recipe for a perfect movie. Um, Rain Wilson is in it. Uh, he seems to be one of the comic relief characters uh as rain wilson does um i don't know i i think it looks fun i'm gonna go into it with low expectations uh so i won't be disappointed and if it makes me laugh and i have a good time then honestly that's all i want from it i'm uh, not expecting a serious well, film i will say one thing that might worry you slightly it worries me oh no is Originally, Eli Roth was originally going to direct this movie, oh. and uh, he left the movie due to creative differences. Mainly, he wanted it to be an R-rated oh, no. movie, and the studio didn't want that to happen. Rough. That's um, rough. No, that that's not great. Eli, I think Eli Roth could do a, a very entertaining shark movie. I think so, too. He actually, uh, he wrote the original version of The Meg as well. So, a written and directed Eli Roth oh my God. shark movie. We that almost sounds, got... That sounds amazing! Yeah. Hopefully there's still pieces of his script intact in this, and that they didn't just completely scrap it and start from scratch. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. He apparently also wanted to play the lead role on top of writing and directing. That would have been which amazing was as well. probably the final straw for uh, the studio. Probably. Because it had like a $150 million budget. Well, I mean, also, Eli Roth can't make a movie without copious amounts of blood and gore which is good for a shark movie but if they're trying to go for a wider audience i can see why they uh they wouldn't have wanted to go with that that's that's pretty fucking disappointing i must say the fact that we got that close to a written and directed eli roth film starring eli roth about a giant killer shark that sounds like the movie that i want to see yeah um, so my expectations are now a little lower, 
but I'm still excited, especially because it's National Treasure Guy. Fuck yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to go see that movie in theaters. Yeah. I mean, Movie Pass, who cares? I'm not paying for <laughs> it. Um, yeah, that- Sign up for Movie Pass. Yeah. This isn't an ad, but maybe pay us. Yeah, hey, MoviePass, we love what you do. Um, give us money. Or just free MoviePass. That would be just, cool, or, Yeah, or even just that. Like, that would be totally worth it. Um, but, yeah, if you don't have MoviePass, do it. If you like to go see movies, do it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that'll about bring us to the end of our Shark Week uh, extravaganza. If you like the show, uh, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, If you want to give us your thoughts on Jaws or on the trailer of The Meg, um, or to tell us what your favorite shark movie is, uh, hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, at podpeoplepod. Uh, You can send us an email, podpeoplepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Letterboxd for a list of all the movies we've talked about on the show and their average ratings with links to those episodes. Um, And, yeah, what are you doing with your Shark Week? You watching all those good shark shows? I wish I was. Try not to get eaten. Try not to get eaten. Um, But, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. Uh, for a collection of memes, wrestling-related tweets, and uh, the occasional drunk tweet. You never know what you're going to (laughs) get. Well, uh, I'm Mr. Sheets on Twitter if you want, uh, yeah, those dank memes or uh, socialist rants, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah, thanks for listening, as always. What are we doing next week? Uh, oh, new unfriended. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot the dark uh, web. The the most evil film that Blumhouse has ever created. The intellectual dark web. The intellectual dark web. I, if Jordan Peterson is not in this movie, <laughs> I don't want. I was see it. looking at the credits on uh, Letterbox for un- the new unfriended, and it did have Jake Paul. As one of the people in it. Oh, it was no. at the very bottom. So it oh, must be God. like a very minor cameo. Or maybe somebody's watching one of his videos and then they exit out of it because it's terrible. Maybe he gets killed. Oh, maybe he does get killed. That would be great. Next week, you can expect a review of Unfriended the Dark Web. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect for this movie. But check back with us next week to uh, hear our thoughts on that and go see it, maybe. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Matisse Van Rossum. And I'm Ben Sheets. And uh, until next time, stay out of the water. And don't forget to rip those fat clouds like (laughs) Shark Boy. (laughs) 